Amen. Amen. Well, um, I said this last week uh, to not a lot of fanfare, um, but I'll say it again. Summer's almost over. You're welcome. Um, And the only reason I say that is because I have to keep reminding myself next week I get two kids off to college, and then a week after that, the third kid off to college. And so, uh, yeah, summer's done. We're done. (laughs) We're in full-on move-to-the-next-phase mode. And I know some of you are. And uh, as summer kind of comes to a close, that means we're wrapping up a series. So today we're, we're coming full circle on some of the one another's that we've been looking at in the New Testament and Scripture. We've covered literally everything from like restore one another, forgive one another, uh, you know, submit to one another, all these different one another's. But ultimately, the reality is they all tie together. They all tie together under this big umbrella of loving one another. And what we've kind of discovered this summer is that if we're going to truly love one another, if we're going to encourage one another, submit to one another, forgive one another, all of these one another's, they require something. They require from us a surrender. Okay, we, what do I need to surrender in my life to better one another somebody? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to surrender? We could talk about how to one another. Here are some ways to encourage one another. Here are some ways to uh, do this. Here are some ways to comfort. We can talk about how to do those things, but um, they require surrender, maybe surrendering some personal comfort, maybe some biases, uh, some time, some energy. Maybe in order to comfort somebody, I'm going to have to go do something, right? To go and do something. Um, maybe we forfeit and surrender the right to speak ill of somebody, uh, the right to hold a grudge. If we're going to forgive somebody, we've got to be able to willing, willing to surrender bitterness, anger, in order to do those things. So it's this idea that we've got to surrender something if we're going to truly one another people the way Jesus desired for us. And, and just in case you think I might be taking that a little bit too far, actually Jesus is the model for how this works. You can see it in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. You see it on the screen. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mind, the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Instead, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Okay, so so Jesus modeled surrendering by giving up all in order to show us the love that you and I needed. So he surrendered in order to give us what we needed. So he's the model. So the question then is, what do you need to surrender? What do you need to surrender to one another? And today I want us to consider this, that one of the greatest ways that you and I show love for one another is when we pray for one another. Now, this is tricky because the pray for one another seems different. Um, The other one another's like comfort one another, that requires me to do something, right? I actually put something into action. I put feet to that, right? So if I'm going to comfort somebody, Uh, You know, if I'm going to go see somebody in the hospital, that that requires an action on my part. Even forgiveness, it requires words 
I, I have to do something. Showing love to somebody, showing encouragement to somebody, bearing one another's burdens. That means I'm actively involved with somebody's life and the things in their life. So the words pray for one another, though, that's, that's a little bit different, okay? And all those other one another's feel like, what can we do? Obviously, in the work of the Spirit, but, but what can we do? But the pray for one another statement sounds maybe like a really super spiritual thing to say that we do. It feels like a cop-out. There, I'll just say it. That's the Rich Doring phrase. It feels like a cop-out sometimes. I mean, how many of you have ever said, oh man, I'm going to be praying for you because you didn't know what else to say or maybe specifically you didn't know what else you could do. And so you said to somebody, I'll pray for you. I've done it. I'll pray for you. Or how many of you have heard the statement, thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, and you've wanted more than just thoughts and prayers <laughs> when it comes to whatever situation that you're going through? Um, the, the phrase, I am praying for you, sometimes feels shallow. It sometimes feels trite. Uh, it sounds like a super spiritual response to not knowing what else to do. Or in our weaker moments, maybe saying, oh, I'll, I'll be praying for you, we use that maybe as an excuse not to have to do any of the other one another's. Because the praying for one sounds really, really spiritual. <laughs> and if I'm praying for you, then I, it kind of excuses me from doing any of the other stuff. Okay, so there's a thread on Reddit, which I don't encourage anybody to spend too much time on Reddit, but there's a thread on Reddit, it's a social media uh, bulletin board kind of, and it was, this thread was started by a group of atheists and it, the whole thread was regarding the uselessness of prayer, how useless prayer was. And one of the users in this thread made this statement. You'll see it on the screen. So if I'm in the hospital, I don't want hope or prayers or thoughts. I want somebody to keep an eye on my pets and mow my lawn. <laughs> to be sure my family and my home are cared for until I'm well enough to do it, which is why I don't say I'm praying, hoping, thinking of someone. I say if you need something, don't hesitate to ask. What I want to do is briefly, this morning, challenge that perception of prayer, uh, of the uselessness of prayer. And maybe even by the end of today, put some feet for beginning to not just pray for one another, but actually pray for others, period. What does it look like to be an intercessor? What does it look like to pray for others, pray for one another? Uh, there's a man named Richard Foster. I know I'm throwing a lot of stuff on the screen, but uh, he's written extensively on the spiritual disciplines. I really appreciate what he says. But he writes this when it comes to prayer. He says, if we truly love people, if you and I truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Intercession, praying for one another, is a way of loving others. It's a way we love others. It's going to God and saying, God, I can't do what this person needs. They need something only you can do. It's going to God on behalf of somebody for something that they need that you can't do anything about. Okay, listen, prayer is an expression of love. We care about people who need more than we can give. And so we go to God for one another. I've been in so many conversations, and we've talked about this in our office, 
things come in waves in ministry. And you go, you go through a pretty quiet time, and then all of a sudden, everybody has a crisis. <laughs> and everybody is suffering a death, or everybody is suffering something. So there's these ebbs and flows. And I just feel like this last week, I've gotten so many phone calls, and so many, I've been engaged in so many conversations, some of those with you, uh, where it's obvious that you need something that only God can give. I can't give you what you need, like peace. I can talk to you about peace. I can teach about peace. I can preach about peace. I can, I can be a peacemaker. I'm called to be a peacemaker. But I can't give you peace. Like I, I can't do anything to put into your life so that all of a sudden your peace will grow. Or joy. I can be a joyful person. I can model what joy in the Lord looks like. There's nothing that I can do to you to make your joy increase. I can't do that for you. There's all kinds of things that I can't give joy. I can't give faith. No matter how much faith I have, I might have faith that can move mountains. I might have faith that can make anything take place, but I can't transplant my faith into you and cause your faith to grow. I can show you how it might grow. I can teach you what to do in your life to put yourself in a position where God might stretch you and grow your faith, but I can't give you faith. Those are things I cannot do, and you can't do those things for other people as well. But many, many, many times, people need more than what I can give them or what you can give them. They need what only God can do. So we pray. We pray. So let me ask you then, in light of seeing prayer through that lens, is prayer a lesser form of loving one another? I want to look at James 5.16. Um, by the time you get to James, the book of James, chapter 5, verse 16, James has challenged his readers to pray, pray for one another. He talks about uh, praying for those that are sick, uh, praying that God would heal them. He's talking about praying all kinds of, they pray for one another's sins, the sins among you, pray, pray that God would, would do something about that. So he, he's talking about praying, but then he kind of goes really deep for a second. And he takes this idea of praying for one another to a whole different level. And I'm going to just totally be honest with you. Super uncomfortable. Like, okay, you know, pray that people will get healed. Pray for those that are sick. Pray, pray for one another that things will work out in their marriage. Pray, 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 pray. Then he throws out verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you might be healed. I'm going to say it again. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Let me address the confess your sins to one another part first, which admittedly sounds super awesome, doesn't it? Like you want to sign up for that one today. I mean, if we had like, download the app, click the button if you're ready to confess. That sounds super exciting. It totally gives me flashbacks. I grew up Catholic to when I was six years old and went to my first confession. Six years old, mortifying experience. You walk into a closet, you shut the door, it's dark, you sit down, there's a guy on the other side of the wall, you can't see him, but you can hear him breathing. 
and you, he says, how, what are your sins? Confess your sins. And as a six-year-old, I'm thinking, oh my word, I'm trying to relive all the moments that I was hitting my brother or stealing, stealing candy out of, they used to have candy in bins at the grocery store. And for some reason, I always had to keep going down that aisle and my pockets got fuller and fuller. And I'm thinking, oh my word. And I was just mortified, absolutely 100% positive I was going to hell. Absolutely positive I was going to hell. And then he would say, now go say 10 Hail Marys for our fathers and go say an act of contrition and you're forgiven. I'm like, that's it? Seriously? I'll come in here and tell you anything you want every single week if that's all, all this requires and I'll just keep stealing candy. So this idea of confessing though is this mortifying idea. But I want you just to wrap your brain around this just for a second. I want you just to think about this. What he's talking about is that there might be an environment, that there might be a body of people, there might be other Christians in your life who love you so much that you could actually come to them and you could say, hey, I need to confess to you. I need to find somebody to talk to. I need to confess. I've been doing this or I've been thinking this. I've been saying this. It's a sin. I need to confess that sin. That there might be people around you that love you enough that you would come to them and confess your sins and they wouldn't bring you shame. They wouldn't bring you guilt. Instead, they would pray for you and that you might be healed and forgiven as you confess those sins. That term confess is sometimes translated as agree or admit. We admit that what we've done and agree with God's view of it, and we do that with other people, with one another. Still doesn't sound like something you'd click on an app, like sign me up, that sounds really great, sounds super fun, but here's the reality. People walk into churches like this one every single week, just like this one carrying secrets behind careers, uh, nice exteriors, forced smiles, really eloquent, beautiful Facebook and Instagram posts that give a picture of a certain life, but yet underneath of it all, they're dying inside because of the idea that they have nobody in their life they can share some of this stuff, this unconfessed sin with. James 5.16 presupposes that every single person should be able to find other people who they are free to confess their sins to, who will pray for them, who will love them. Now that's a whole other sermon. So let's move on to the next statement though. He says this, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. The prayer of the person who's walking with God are powerful and effective. You know, God could have chosen to work independent of his people, and he does, you know, but, but for some reason he invites like us to participate in what he's doing. Now, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have asked me. <laughs> I don't know how you feel about that. I would have invited Rich Doring to do some of this stuff, but he wants us to love people so much. He invites us in. He asks us to pray, asking God to accomplish his will in their lives. 
That's why James challenges us to realize that our prayers can be powerful. Our prayers can be effective. And so can I just give you two really quick, simple application points, okay? The first is this, pray for one another. The answer is yes, I get paid to be that obvious. Pray for one another. Seriously, understand that possibly the greatest form of love that we might share with somebody could be praying for them. Remember what Foster said, if we truly love people, we will desire for them far more than it's within our power to give them, and this will lead us to prayer. Think of somebody that you love right now. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, somebody you work with, somebody you really, really care about, somebody that you love, and think about what they're going through right now. Think about what they're suffering. I believe that the more that you love somebody, the more you'll actually pray for them. Uh, invest time, invest energy, praying God's best for one another. And there's the first challenge. What do you pray? I don't know how to pray for somebody. If somebody's going through something that I, I literally have no answers for, I don't know how to pray for somebody who's dying of cancer. They are going to die. So what do you pray in those moments? I don't know how to pray for somebody whose life is actually just literally just crumbled apart. They literally don't know what their life is gonna look like tomorrow. No idea. How do you pray in those moments? What do you do in those situations? Let me give you an example. Okay, can I do that? Uh, use scripture. Use scripture. I mean, God gave us scripture for a reason. Use scripture. That's not a cop-out. That's actually a guide for how to do this. For example, here's a prayer that I pray uh, regularly, often on behalf of other people, and especially on behalf of my own children, on my own kids. It's uh, Ephesians chapter 17, or sorry, chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. It's on the screen. And so follow with me here. I keep asking that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. So how do you pray that? Father, I, I just come before you today and uh, I come before you today on behalf of my boys and I pray that you would give them wisdom. They need your wisdom. And I know they keep hearing messages and all kinds of different things from everybody else, but I pray that you give them your wisdom so that they can see, Father, what you have for them. That as you reveal to them your will, that they would see your will and would be wise enough to follow your will today. They need to know you better. I want them to know you better. And I can't do that for them. So, Father, I want, I want to ask you to do something in their lives. And I pray that the eyes of their hearts would be opened and enlightened so they would know and have hope. Uh, Father, my boys have seen some things in life and I know they hear some things in life, and it's easy for them to lose hope, I'm sure, just like it is for me. So I pray today, Father, that you would open their eyes, help them to see that they have a hope that transcends those things. And would you just reveal yourself to them today? That's how you pray scripture. The Psalms are a great source. Praying the Psalms for one another. That type of prayer is love for others. 
Don't tell me for a second I wasn't loving my children when I prayed like that for them. That's loving others because you're petitioning God to do for them more than you ever could. More than you ever could. I look at my boys. Shelly and I are about to be, and I know this is a joke, empty nesters as though they'll never come back. But we're, we're about to live our lives for the first time with nobody else to cook for but ourselves. And so um, it'll, be, it'll be an interesting experience, but I look at my boys now and I think of all the things I want for them spiritually, I, of all the things I want to see them experience in life as adults, and I realize there's a whole lot of stuff that I want for my boys that only God can do. I can't do it. In fact, they can't even do it. I want some stuff for my kids that only God can do, don't you? I love them enough not to limit in their lives that which only I can do. I want to challenge you with something else, though. In light of this series, uh, I think it's less obvious than, than just praying for one another. It's this. Ask for it. Ask for prayer. I would want to share an observation with you. We have these prayer cards. We have these prayer cards. They're in the back of the seats. They're on the wall in the back. They're on the desk in the foyer. There's a table in the foyer. These prayer cards are everywhere. And even online, you can scan that QR code and you can do it online. You can submit a prayer request online. And uh, we collect those needs. And as a staff and those who are involved in our prayer ministry, uh, we do that so we can love you. So we can go to God on your behalf. So full disclosure, most weeks we receive maybe about 10 of these. Okay, there's more than 10 people in this room. We get about 10 of these. And many times, it's the same people filling them out. So either nobody needs prayer. Raise your hand if you don't think you need any prayer. Don't raise your hand, please. So I want to say, first of all, thank you to those of you that are doing that. I, I really appreciate that. We do not take you, yeah, we do not take you sharing your prayer needs with us lightly. But second, I was not born yesterday, okay? There are more prayers that need to be lifted in this body of believers than 10 or 12. There's more, okay? And if you've been hesitant to share a prayer need, maybe you feel like, man, if I put my name on that and if I write down my prayer need, Man, somebody's going to know my business. Well, God already knows your business, okay? And we're just going to him for you. And I'll tell you, first and foremost, if all of a sudden somebody who says they're praying for you starts using your information to do something else, they get to have a sit-down meeting with me, okay? I just got really quiet. Like, <laughs> I'm not that strong. Um, but, but here's the deal. If you feel like, oh, man, I'm going to be judged if I put that down or, or whatever, you know, can I give you just, can I just give you a different lens to look through just for a second? When you ask someone to pray for you, you are asking somebody, would you love me? It's exactly what you're doing. If you write a prayer need on there and you drop it in the box or you give it to somebody or somehow it makes its way to our desk and it gets to be a part of what we're doing in the church, and we get to pray for one another. When you do that, when you write your need on there in your name, and you give it to us, what you're saying is, would you love me? 
That's what you're saying. You're not asking me to fix your problem, right? You're not asking me to, to do some other thing or us to do something. You're saying, would you love me enough that I'm, I'm asking you, when you, when you go to God in prayer, would you remember me? That sounds pretty loving to me. That you would go to the God of the universe for me. Would you love me? And, listen, if somebody walks up to you and says, hey man, I, just, I need somebody to pray for me today. I've got this and this going on. I've got this test this week. I've got to go see this doctor. I've got this and this with my family. Would you just pray for me today? Man, don't miss that moment. Don't miss that moment. That person is asking you to love them enough to go to God on their behalf. Will you love me enough to surrender some of your comfort, some of your time, some of your energy to go to God for only what God can do on my behalf? It's not that you and I need a human mediator. We don't need that. We've got Jesus. We've got Jesus. But this is a matter of inter interdependence in the body of Christ. We need one another to go to God on our behalf. So that brings us to today. Just a couple of practical things, really quick. Okay, you have three tools at your disposal right now. The first being what I just mentioned, that prayer card. You'll see it on the screen here. There's that prayer card. Grab one, write a need on it, drop it in a box, give it to a greeter or something on your way out, give it to somebody. But, uh, but you have that at your disposal. If you have the app, you can just go into the app and find a way to submit a prayer need. Or you can just scan that with your phone on the back. It'll take you. You can just submit that. And there is a place where you can say, for staff only. Honestly, that comes right to, to me. And, and it's not shared broadly with other people, uh, even a part of the prayer ministry. If there's something going on in your life that you really just would prefer it to be in confidence, nobody's sitting there thinking, hmm, who submitted the staff one? And they're looking at that box first. What did you hit? And they put it in a pile. That's how that works. So take advantage of that. The second is this. You'll see this on the screen. Last week I told you to be prepared for what we're going to be talking about today, praying for one another, and you and I have this unique opportunity. We have a church, there's a church right now in Palmarcito, Guatemala, who is waiting. <laughs> They're waiting for you to share with them how they can go to God on your behalf, which is a totally humbling thing. What I did was I asked Pastor Nestor if he would do the same thing. Would he ask his people to come up with a list of things that they would love us as a church to be praying for for them? And so right now today is I'm asking you to write down something. You would love somebody in Guatemala <laughs> to pray for you. He's doing the exact same thing. We'll be sharing that list with you so we can be praying for them specifically in our partner church down in Palmercito, Guatemala, what they're going through right now and the things that we can pray for them and lift them up, they're going to be doing the exact same thing for us. And so as you leave today in the foyer, you'll see a small table. It's got a stack of these on it. A share of prayer need with our partner church in Palmercito, Guatemala. It could be a symbol. I put one in already this morning. said, be praying for our boys as they leave for college. That's the thing we're praying for most about right now. Be with my boys as they head off to college. And, and I put that in there. I can guarantee you that next Sunday, Next Sunday, they will be praying for my boys going to college. So on your way out today, I want to encourage you to do that. When they start submitting theirs to us, 
we'll share those with you as well. And then finally, we've taken a little bit of a pause with real life care ministry, uh, just during the summer schedules, different things like that. We're also revamping it. If you're not sure what that is, be watching. We're gonna be relaunching that towards the beginning of September. This is an opportunity for us to love each other and love other people in our church in a very tangible way. We write notes, we really spend some time going to God on behalf of, of people, but we really need to ramp up prayer in our church. This needs to be central to who we are. This next year, we've already been talking about what our focus is gonna be starting in January. I know, a little OCD, but that's just how I run, okay? But we've already talked and we're gonna be talking about what it looks like to be rooted in prayer as the body of Christ. What does it look like for us to be rooted in prayer? We need to get a head start run on that. So as real life care ministry starts picking up speed again towards September, and if it's something that God has placed as a burden on your heart, I really wanna encourage you to check it out and we'll get more information to you uh, about that. I wanna take care of just a little bit of business before we kind of wrap some things up. Um, you got a uh, Lego piece as you came in here. You should have, if you didn't, make sure you grab one on the way out. It's not a Lego piece, it's a brick. It's a brand name, brick. This is a, this is a big deal for a reason. In this focus on being one as a church, uh, this unity, and even this summer as we've been going through these one another's, you and I are being challenged to do something, and, and I wanna be completely upfront with you. The church in the West, that's us. The church in the West and other churches like ours um, have spent a lot of time over the last few decades, and I wanna remind you, that's when I came into the church too. I, I, was, I, I came, became a follower of Jesus Christ under this model. Uh, has spent a lot of time over the last few decades succumbing to a temptation to treat people like you and me as consumers. Um, in other words, church, what we do here, has been presented uh, as somewhere you'd go to get what you need. Now, I'll be the first one to tell you, you should be able to come to a body of believers and get something that you need, right? You should get something that you need. But somewhere along the line, in the last few decades, Church has kind of discovered that if, if you treated people as consumers and then offered the best product, people would start showing up. They would show up. Church has spent time, resources, energy, and more in order to keep that model going. And if you didn't adopt that model of churning out kind of a product for people to consume that would keep them coming, if you did not adopt that model, you were kind of washed up. You were kind of washed up. Uh, I was trained and groomed in that model of church and church growth. You need to brand yourself. You need to package yourself. You need to look a certain way. You need to feel a certain way. You need to identify, you know, who's your portage Pete and who's your, your portage uh, Pam. And you've got to dissect those people and model your entire ministry for a certain group and, and all that kind of different stuff. And there, there were some people who have been radically helped, radically helped, turned their lives over to Christ. I was one of them, okay? But every single decision you and I make, our personal lives, public lives, every decision an organization makes, a church makes, has consequences. 
we make decisions so something will be different, right? Every decision has consequences. Some of those are good, some of those not so good. A lot of the decisions that we do make suffer consequences that we never really thought about. Um, the church inadvertently discipled people to have a transactional relationship with the church. This is a transactional. Okay. Think about it. If Strax stops carrying my brand, and if Strax doesn't honor my loyalty points anymore, you know what? Meyer is right down the road. And guess what? At Meyer, they have goldfish. And the kids love goldfish. Why would the kids not want to go to Meyer instead of Strax? Now, I'm aware it sounds like I'm picking a fight here, but let me just tell you, everything is different now. Uh, most pastors, most pastors are finding themselves pastoring people who have been discipled to consume. And now they're finding themselves trying to re-disciple people to surrender. To surrender a consumer approach to the body of Christ and instead kind of adopt the sacrificial one instead. What Jesus actually taught. Now, I get it. Offering people something that they want or something that they need, that sells. It does. Asking people to give themselves away, though, not so much. The challenge for us, in light of the message of surrender associated with all these one another's, is to remember that you and I, when we come here, we don't come to get some peace to take with us to put in our life. How good is one Lego block? I mean, mine's blue, one of my favorite colors. What am I supposed to do with this? I mean, I could put it on my desk. I could put it on my, wind, on my dashboard, glue it, so I see it every day as some kind of a reminder or something. What good is one Lego? You need other Legos to attach it to, to actually build something else. And so instead of coming and deciding, well, that church didn't give me the Lego piece that I like, I need this Lego piece in my life, so, so I've got to find the church that's going to give me the Lego piece that I want. Jesus is asking us to reimagine a whole different thing. Like, not even, I mean, there's, there's just nothing transactional about it. We come to add our piece to the whole. That's how this works. A realignment with the Jesus model of church. People surrendering themselves to relationships, to engagement, to commitment. Bringing what they have to the table to be a part of something more. A movement of God that together shows the world what it means to actually love one another. To love one another. Let that Lego, and I know I'm, I understand this is, we're asking you to take this with you, this one single solitary <laughs> Lego, but let it be a reminder to you that as we love one another, we are embodying what Jesus gave his life for. We're embodying that. That maybe that Lego in your hand represents not just receiving, but what you have to give. So speaking of pieces, fitting. Next week, we begin a new series. 
one in generosity. We're going to be talking every, every August, that's the six-month mark of our church year, we talk about stewardship, not just stewardship of finances, but stewardship of every area of our lives. But what does it look like for us to be one in generosity? And we're going to look at what that looks like for us corporately, but individually as well. Will there be a presentation? Because I feel like uh, as a body of believers, you need to know that the church is being a good steward and transparent with the finances as well. And so there'll be a presentation that takes place in the next three weeks. But as we prepare for that, just be reminded, we're not here just to take. We're here to be the church. Be the church. I'm going to ask you to stand. Kathy Patterson, the mother of the groom, is going to come at this time. And uh, she's going to lead us in our, our closing benediction. But as she does, uh, we really want to celebrate uh, Bob Burton today. And so in the community space by the coffee shop, there's kind of a little reception area. Bob's going to be out there. Uh, there's a place where you can write some stuff on a card and drop it in a box, all that kind of different stuff. We would love it if you would just head over there for a couple minutes uh, as we honor Bob and just uh, love on him a little bit. Plus, I think there's some donuts and, uh, and some stuff like that. So if you would do that, that would be fantastic. Let me pray, and then uh, Kathy's going to share with you in our benediction as you see it on the screen. Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your grace in our lives. And Father, as we look at what it means for us to love you, to love people and serve the world, we do that, Father, not in our own strength. We do it through the work of your Spirit. So help us to yield our lives to you. Help us to comfort one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, and live out what it means to be one. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would just join me in reading our benediction to close out our service this morning. May the bond of peace of Jesus Christ go with us as we seek to love God as one. May he guide us in humility, gentleness, and patience as we love people as we have been loved. May the compassion of Jesus Christ be in us as we serve the world in word and deed. May he bring us together again, rejoicing as his children as we live in real life with Christ. Have a blessed day.